This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids' table. Hey, if you have just joined this show for the first time, uh, the purpose of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do is to just expose people to different ideas of the, of the different paths you can have to, to become an entrepreneur or a solopreneur or even, even to be a little on, more entrepreneurial inside the job that you have. And we talk to all different types of people, people who've worked in corporate jobs, who decided their ladder was against the wrong wall and left it to go start something. We talk to people who've always had that entrepreneurial spirit and never worked for anybody else. Uh, we talk to business leaders of large companies, and we talk to solopreneurs who are just out there every day trying to piece their life together, but loving it because that was me. I had my ladder against that wrong wall for a long, long time. And coming up on 10 years ago, uh, I'd love to say I was brave and I took the leap but I got laid off and there were no jobs in 2009. It was the worst part of the recession. And I decided that I was just going to to take my hand at creating my own, my own way in the world. And I've done that now for almost a decade. And that's sort of how cool things entrepreneurs grew up. Because one thing I found is that in order for me to have a business and to grow a business, I needed to get around people who were successfully doing just that. And if I've learned nothing in all this time, I've learned that success leaves clues. And that's why I do this podcast, because I get to talk to the coolest people who leave a lot of clues behind for me, but also for all of you who tune in. So please, if you've never listened to the show before, go back and check out some of the other interviews that we have done. We are closing in quickly on 400 interviews or 400 shows. Some of them are just me. They're not interviews, but easily over 350 interviews with really cool people. And that's what we're doing today. So today I have someone on the show who I know through the National Speakers Association. And as you know, I've had a lot of people on who I've met through that. And these are people who are really doing their own thing in the world. And today I've got Alan Stein Jr., and I asked him before we started the show sort of what his first job was out of college, like his first corporate gig, and he laughed at me because he never did. He went to Elon University. I think it was called Elon College back then, and he played basketball. And when he got out of school, he started teaching other people. He started basketball camps, and he has always been in that basketball space, and he has taken everything he has learned about teamwork and sports and achievement, and now has turned it into what is becoming an extremely successful speaking career. And if you've never heard of Alan Stein Jr., you have to because he does really, really cool things. So, Alan, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Well, thank you so much, Tom, and, and congratulations to you, man. A decade of entrepreneurship and 400 shows. That's pretty impressive, my friend. I love it. I'm honored <laughs> to be here. So I don't do like those corporate bios that the PR people send, so I, I prefer people to sort of tell their own story. So who are you today? And then we'll sort of unpack how you got there. 
Well, most importantly, I'm a father of three kids and I have twin eight-year-old sons and a six-year-old daughter. And of the handful of pillars that I feel are so important for me to teach and model to my children, that entrepreneur mindset that you mentioned earlier is one of the most important. Um, Even if my children choose not to be entrepreneurs, if they choose to take a more conventional route, that's totally fine. But I still think that entrepreneurial mindset is vital just to being happy, fulfilled, successful, and significant. So uh, I so, made yeah. in the basketball space, uh, and that's what I did for almost 20 years. Uh, and, and I'm actually proud of the fact that I've never had a corporate job, and yet now I get paid by corporations to come in and teach about leadership and teamwork and culture. Uh, and I actually use that to my advantage. You know, some of them have said, well, you know, why should we bring in you if you've, if you've never been in our position? And I say very proudly, that's why you should bring me in because I'm going to come in with a very fresh perspective and share some ideas and some concepts and tools that you haven't seen before. Because if you keep bringing in and staring at the same stuff over and over, you'll keep getting the same results. So that's kind of what's landed me from basketball to business. So tell us about your business today. What's the main focus? So right now it is speaking. And uh, I take a lot of pride in being a professional speaker and, you know, folks like yourself and, and we're a part of a special Facebook group that has been just vital to, to helping me learn, uh, you know, the, the ins and outs of this business. Um, I've been doing speaking for probably 10 years, but for nine of those, it was in the basketball world. I would speak at basketball events. I would speak at basketball clinics. So I was talking to a very limited audience of players and coaches. And now uh, that I'm on the other side and I'm speaking to businesses and organizations, um, it's just been a new challenge. And, and I'm loving the, the challenge of learning that landscape uh, learning the ins and outs of what makes an organization run. And I'm very thankful uh, to know that the, the tenets of success in a sport like basketball, you know, the habits and the mindsets and the disciplines that are required, the, the teamwork and the cohesion and, and, you know, the accountability, there's a tremendous amount of crossover between sport and business. And, and I'm really having a blast, you know, feeling that out and, and sharing my experiences with others. Well, and, and like you were saying, you know, both both through uh, through Facebook groups and through in-person greetings, with, uh, gatherings, like things like the National Speakers Association, I tell people all the time, I never could have built my speaking career if I hadn't gotten involved with the National Speakers Association. It wasn't that the organization itself did anything for me. I mean, yeah, there was a lot of education, but it was really the networking. It was really the connecting with other people who were not the celebrity speakers, but the people who were one or two steps above the ladder or even at the same level as me. And we sort of grew up together because as I said at the beginning of the show, success leaves clues. And I'm always amazed how many people say, in fact, I had this this encounter the other day. Someone said that they'd been trying to build a speaking career for five years, but couldn't get the traction. And I said, have you ever gone to NSA? And immediately... He said, oh, no, that's not for me. And I'm like, well, I couldn't have done this if I didn't go. And he's like, yeah, there's a lot of wannabes there. And I, I wanted to say, uh, dude, look in the mirror because you just told me that you weren't having you know, any success. And there's people there who are having amazing success. Go pick up the crumbs, the clues that they leave behind. Uh, and so you know, the fact that you're making that transition from, from just speaking in sports into that uh, world of, of corporate and association speaking, I mean, you seem to have made that leap right away because I think I've known you for uh, – at least known of you for about that year that you've been doing this. So what caused you to decide, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to get around other people who are doing it? Yeah, I've always had that mindset. And, and funny enough – you know, well, first of all, I love that idea that success leaves clues, but you have to have the, the humility to find them and follow them. I mean, the clues are out there for us. 
uh, but it's up to us to collect them and to, to put ourselves in a position to be around the people that are leaving them. Um, and I would always tell players, I've been saying this for 20 years, if, if you're the best player at your park, you need to find a new park because no one's going to keep pushing you. And, and I always would want players to play against guys that are bigger and stronger and faster that are going to push them to new levels. Uh, so that's the same medicine I take. And, and I knew that, you know, in order for me to be the best speaker that I was capable of, and that's all my goal is. I, I don't, I don't view myself in competition with anyone else because we're all on our same, all on a different journey. We all have a different message and a different twist. Uh, but I knew that if I could surround myself with people like yourself and, and the folks in NSA and in that, that Facebook group who've been doing this uh, at an incredibly high level for a long time, um, that that would just add value to my life. And that was one of the main reasons I made the switch. I was just ready for a new challenge and to do something different. Um, I would never say that I had kind of conquered the basketball space, but it just wasn't exciting me the way that it was when I first started. And I was ready for something new and figured taking that message, but redirecting it at a new audience was what was going to reignite my fire. And it's done just that. And, you know, what's really neat about the basketball coaching community. If you talk to a real pure coach, they love to give back and help other coaches. They don't look at life as zero sum. They like feeding and helping other coaches. And I'm, I'm so thankful that, that the speaking community is very similar, that, that I've got you know speakers that have been doing this 10, 20 years at an incredibly high level, have the humility and grace and compassion to help somebody like me. And I consider myself a rookie you know, on this side of, of the table. And it's, it's, been, it's just been amazing. I'm very, very thankful. So it's funny because what you're talking about and the way people have sort of helped people both in the industry that we're in, but also in, in your world of basketball that you came out of, you know, the, the word that comes to mind is mentorship. And the reason it comes to mind is in the last, I don't know, six months, I've had the honor to speak for uh, both corporations and associations to their sort of young professionals groups, sort of the the, the up and coming, maybe the, the millennial age group uh, within that company or within that association. And in a lot of cases, they have special conferences for them or a different track at the big conference. And I've had the pleasure several times, maybe six or seven times, to be the speaker for those different groups. And in every case, I've always talked about the importance of people, uh, connecting with people, putting your phone down was sort of my original topic I've spoke about for a decade. And even in my new topic, which is all about the gap between potential and results that happens for individuals and teams, the, the thing that is a little nugget that I talk about is the power of having a mentor. And what has amazed me about these young professional groups, because the media tells you, oh, the millennials want nothing to do with the baby boomers or the older generation. They have it all figured out. They don't need the older people. You know, they've got all the technology. They'll line up six, seven, ten people deep to talk about how do I find a mentor? How do I find that person who will invest in me? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities to hire a coach. And, and in the podcast world, you know, everybody seems to have a coaching pro program and things like that. Everybody wants to charge you. And there's nothing wrong with that. I have a coaching program that, that people join. But a mentor is somebody who invests in you without necessarily a monetary gain. And this topic has sort of bubbled out from a little module inside my speech to something that is coming becoming a topic unto itself so having lived in that basketball world where clearly that is is part of it and now into this world how important do you think it is to have either a formal or several informal mentors absolutely vital uh, i'll even go one step further and say not only do you need a mentor uh you even need a mentee uh, i actually had a chance to spend some time with a gentleman named frank shamrock uh, and if that name rings a bell it's because frank shamrock and ken shamrock 
basically started the MMA ultimate fighting craze back in the 90s. Uh, Frank was pound for pound one of the deadliest humans on earth, uh, which is kind of ironic because he's one of the nicest, most gentle, compassionate, giving men I've ever met. He's a great guy. Uh, but he's the one that taught me what he calls the plus equal minus system. And he said that he makes sure that at all times in his life, he has a plus, an equal, and a minus. A plus in his life is basically what you just described. That would be a mentor to him. That would be someone that's already walked down the path that he's trying to go down and that can share some experience and some wisdom with him. But he also believes you need to have an equal, uh, somebody that's a peer that's going through the same stuff you're going through. They're experiencing some of the same wins, but they're also facing some of the same obstacles and challenges. And it's a great idea for you all to exchange best practices. But then he said the one that a lot of people forget that no matter where you are in your life, you should also have the minus. And I don't say minus in a diminishing way, basically saying that you need to send the elevator back down for somebody else and you need to reach a hand down and help them and teach them. And since putting that into my own practice about a year ago, I've actually found that I do some of the I learned some of the most when I'm the mentor and they're the mentee, because as you know, Tom, in order to teach anything to someone, you have to know it really, really well. And it really keeps you sharp to be able to pour into someone else. And it also keeps you grounded and gives you the humility to realize that, hey, I was where they were a couple years ago and people have helped me. So it's almost my obligation and duty to help them. And, and I think that plus equal minus in life or in entrepreneurship or even in the narrow niche of speaking uh, can be a really valuable tool. So I've never heard that described that way. I think I've, I've, I've sort of probably lived my life that way, but I love that, that plus equal minus. And, and actually it's interesting because I, people listen to the show know that I have a mastermind group of three other, there's four of us total speakers. And we've been together for five years and people say, oh, mastermind groups tend to die out around then. And we haven't died out yet. We rent a house twice a year somewhere in the country. We move in. They're like my board of directors. Anytime I make a, a pivot in my, in my speaking business, they're part of it as much as my family, knowing that I'm making these changes. Uh, so I have the, those equals. And then if you listen to this show, I talk a lot about, I have two gentlemen who for about the last four years, uh, I've been their mentor and they're both 28, 29 years old now. And one of them said recently he made a job change and, and there was just a lot of negotiation and a lot of problems and a lot of fear. And he kept calling me like every couple mornings and I, you know, I made the time for him. And after he got the job and neg negotiated the salary he wanted and, and really made some tough choices with a little bit of guidance, he said to me, and, and we have a joke that the two of them have a nickname for me. They're, they're friends with each other now and they have a nickname. They call me dad. And yeah, haha. My uh, my answer to that was cool. Older brother would have been such a better nickname. But he he said to me after his job change, he said, "How does someone my age navigate something like this if they don't have a fake dad?" He goes, "You know, because he turned to me so many times, and you know, we just talked it through. I didn't tell him what to do, and I didn't even give him per se advice. But you know." I, I was like, well, you know, they don't. They make mistakes. That's what happened to me, most likely. But here was the interesting part is that I learned as much helping him through those rough times about other things that I'm dealing with. I mean, it's, you know, I'm not going through a job change per se, but I'm dealing with clients and I'm dealing with negotiations. And they don't understand. They don't understand why I give them so much time, but it's because I learned so much from helping them. The hole in my life right now is the plus, and that is I don't have a mentor. And so that's part of this, this whole thing I'm research, researching is how do you get a mentor at 52 years old? 
how do you find somebody ahead of you who's willing? Because it's easy if you're 28 to come to some 50-year-old because like, oh, you know. <laughs> but uh, society hasn't set it up that at 52 you go seeking a mentor. And so that's something I'm actually doing right now. And so it's fascinating you bring that up because I'm like, oh, that sort of matches my life. You know, one thing I'd say, and I think I think it's amazing that you're doing that, is hopefully to help maybe reshift your your perspective is don't think so much as far as age, as far as maybe experience in a specific niche. Yeah, uh, I, I actually agree with that. I don't think of it as age. Okay, because a perfect example, one of my mentors that was in basketball is 15 years younger than I am, uh, but he had traveled down certain paths and done certain things that I hadn't done yet. Um, and find mentorship in that. And, you know, even, even though I've only been in the professional speaking on the corporate side for about 18 months now, uh, I actually have a few people that are older than I am that want to make a similar leap that have been reaching out to me to ask for advice. So, um, yeah, I fully, uh, I fully agree. I don't think it's an age thing, but I definitely think there has to be the, the, uh, experience and respect thing for the, the mentorship to work. There has to be that, Everybody has to kind of know their role. Now, it can change because there's a lot of reverse engineering where the less experienced person, you know, in one area is teaching the more experienced person in another area. And I think that's what's happened with these two young men is that we've become friends. We become, you know, we there are things that we invest in each other about. But uh, but I definitely think that I don't I don't think in society we've said, hey, hey, successful person in their 50s. Do you currently have a mentor? And I think that's the thing that I'm exploring is how, how, how do we make that the norm? Absolutely. And I know that it's challenging for you because on experience, you have so many vast experiences and you've, you've, you said you've done the corporate thing, you've done the entrepreneur thing. So I, I can certainly appreciate that it's harder for you to find someone. Um, but I guarantee you there is somebody out there and you keep that search. And in the meanwhile, you keep growing from the equal and the minus in your relationship so that, that you're not stagnant, which I know you never are. Well, I think, but I think that's fascinating. I think everybody should write that down, the plus, equal, and minus, because I think that's the, I think that's a huge nugget of information. So I think you've, you've shared something that should make everybody who's listening think. Well, I hope so. But back to your original question, uh, everybody needs a coach or everybody needs a mentor or a trainer. I mean, it doesn't matter what terminology you use. Uh, but when you look at the most elite performers, and I've been around the most elite performers in basketball and LeBron, and KD, and Steph Curry, uh, not only do those guys have their team coach, they have individual trainers, individual coaches, you know. Now, granted, they've got the financial means that, that they're not limited by very much, but more importantly, they have the humility to realize, I need someone that can not only show me the way, but will hold me accountable to an incredibly high standard so that I can continue to perform. And, you know, even outside of basketball, uh, you know, look at a, a Justin Timberlake or a Beyonce or a, a Tom Brady or, or Jay-Z or any high performer. They have coaches, they have mentors, they have people that are constantly teaching them, investing in them, but most importantly, holding them accountable to that really high standard. So uh, certainly I, I, what I would say players all the time, if, you know, if, if LeBron has a private coach, then certainly you should as well, because you haven't achieved a fraction of what he's got, you know, he's achieved. So we all need them. No, I, th I think that's great. So, you know, here you were in the basketball, you know, the, the, the basketball camps, the basketball performance arena, and then now you're in this corporate speaking world for the last 18 months. What's it like? I mean, you've got a family, you've got, you've got to go to wife and kids. And what's it life like to make as an entrepreneur a major pivot from one focus to another focus while you still have a mortgage and braces and everything else to pay for? 
you know, it's been incredibly invigorating. Uh, one of the things that's always attracted me to the to the entrepreneurial mindset is that it's it's a constant hustle that you have to every single day. You've got to prove your value and prove your worth. You need to be continually developing yourself and your craft to grow into somebody that you're not currently. And I just felt that after almost 20 years in basketball, that I was starting to stagnate my own growth and development as a person and, and making that leap has been so fun. Um, you know, one thing I'll say to respectfully correct you, I'm amicably divorced, so I don't have the wife portion. <laughs> my ex and I get along great. And one of the reasons I love the speaking business is, you know, I take being a present father very serious. And the speaking business is actually very conducive to that lifestyle because I have my kids half of the time and I can be very present with them. And then the other half of the time. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids' table. Hey, if you have just joined this show for the first time, uh, the purpose of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do is to just expose people to different ideas of the, of the different paths you can have to, to become an entrepreneur or a solopreneur or even, even to be a little on, more entrepreneurial inside the job that you have. And we talk to all different types of people, people who've worked in corporate jobs, who decided their ladder was against the wrong wall and left it to go start something. We talk to people who've always had that entrepreneurial spirit and never worked for anybody else. Uh, we talk to business leaders of large companies, and we talk to solopreneurs who are just out there every day trying to piece their life together, but loving it because that was me. I had my ladder against that wrong wall for a long, long time. And coming up on 10 years ago, uh, I'd love to say I was brave and I took the leap but I got laid off and there were no jobs in 2009. It was the worst part of the recession. And I decided that I was just going to, to take my hand at creating my own, my own way in the world. And I've done that now for almost a decade. And that's sort of how cool things entrepreneurs grew up. Because one thing I found is that in order for me to have a business and to grow a business, I needed to get around people who were successfully doing just that. And if I've learned nothing in all this time, I've learned that success leaves clues. And that's why I do this podcast, because I get to talk to the coolest people who leave a lot of clues behind for me, but also for all of you who tune in. So please, if you've never listened to the show before, go back and check out some of the other interviews that we have done. We are closing in quickly on 400 interviews or 400 shows. Some of them are just me. They're not interviews, but easily over 350 interviews with really cool people. And that's what we're doing today. So today I have someone on the show who I know through the National Speakers Association. And as you know, I've had a lot of people on who I've met through that. And these are people who are really doing their own thing in the world. And today I've got Alan Stein Jr. And I asked him before we started the show sort of what his first job was out of college, like his first corporate gig. And he laughed at me because he never did. He went to Elon University. I think it was called Elon College back then. And he played basketball. And when he got out of school, 
he started teaching other people. He started basketball camps, and he has always been in that basketball space, and he has taken everything he has learned about teamwork and sports and achievement and now has turned it into what is becoming an extremely successful speaking career. And if you've never heard of Alan Stein Jr., you have to because he does really, really cool things. So, Alan, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Well, thank you so much, Tom, and, and congratulations to you, man. A decade of entrepreneurship and 400 shows. That's pretty impressive, my friend. I love it. I'm honored <laughs> to be here. So I don't do like those corporate bios that the PR people send, so I, I prefer people to sort of tell their own story. So who are you today? And then we'll sort of unpack how you got there. Well, most importantly, I'm a father of three kids, and I have twin eight-year-old sons and a six-year-old daughter. And of the handful of pillars that I feel are so important for me to teach and model to my children, that entrepreneur mindset that you mentioned earlier is one of the most important. Um, even if my children choose not to be entrepreneurs, if they choose to take a more conventional route, that's totally fine. But I still think that entrepreneurial mindset is vital just to being happy, fulfilled, successful, and significant. So uh, I so, made both yeah. in the basketball space. Uh, and that's what I did for almost 20 years. Uh, and, and I'm actually proud of the fact that I've never had a corporate job. And yet now I get paid by corporations to come in and teach about leadership and teamwork and culture. Uh, and I actually use that to my advantage. You know, some of them have said, well, you know, why should we bring in you if you've, if you've never been in our position? And I say very proudly, that's why you should bring me in, because I'm going to come in with a very fresh perspective and share some ideas and some concepts and tools that you haven't seen before. Because if you keep bringing in and staring at the same stuff over and over, you'll keep getting the same results. So that's kind of what's landed me from basketball to business. So tell us about your business today. What's the main focus? So right now it is speaking. And uh, I take a lot of pride in being a professional speaker. And you know, folks like yourself, and, and we're a part of a special Facebook group that has been just vital to, to helping me learn uh, you know, the, the ins and outs of this business. Um, I've been doing speaking for probably 10 years, but for nine of those, it was in the basketball world. I would speak at basketball events. I would speak at basketball clinics. So I was talking to a very limited audience of players and coaches. And now uh, that I'm on the other side and I'm speaking to businesses and organizations, um, it's just been a new challenge. And, and I'm loving the, the challenge of learning that landscape, uh, learning the ins and outs of what makes an organization run. And I'm very thankful uh, to know that the, the tenets of success in a sport like basketball, you know, the habits and the mindsets and the disciplines that are required, that the teamwork and the cohesion and, and, you know, the accountability, there's a tremendous amount of crossover between sport and business. And, and I'm really having a blast, you know, feeling that out and, and sharing my experiences with others. Well, and, and like you were saying, you know, both both through uh, through Facebook groups and through in-person greetings, with, uh, gatherings, like things like the National Speakers Association, I tell people all the time, I never could have built my speaking career if I hadn't gotten involved with the National Speakers Association. It wasn't that the organization itself did anything for me. I mean, yeah, there was a lot of education, but it was really the networking. It was really the connecting with other people who were not the celebrity speakers, but the people who were one or two steps above the ladder or even at the same level as me. And we sort of grew up together because as I said at the beginning of the show, success leaves clues. And I'm always amazed how many people say, in fact, I had this, this encounter the other day. Someone said that they'd been trying to build a speaking career for five years, but couldn't get the traction. And I said, have you ever gone to NSA? And immediately... He said, oh, no, that's not for me. 
And I'm like, well, I couldn't have done this if I didn't go. And he's like, yeah, there's a lot of wannabes there. And I, I wanted to say, uh, dude, look in the mirror because you just told me that you weren't having you know, any success. And there's people there who are having amazing success. Go pick up the crumbs, the clues that they leave behind. Uh, and so you know, the fact that you're making that transition from, from just speaking in sports into that uh, world of, of corporate and association speaking, I mean, you seem to have made that leap right away because I think I've known you for uh, – at least known of you for about that year that you've been doing this. So what caused you to decide, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to get around other people who are doing it? Yeah, I've always had that mindset. And, and funny enough – you know, well, first of all, I love that idea that success leaves clues, but you have to have the, the humility to find them and follow them. I mean, the clues are out there for us, uh, but it's up to us to collect them and to, to put ourselves in a position to be around the people that are leaving them. Um, and I would always tell players, I've been saying this for 20 years, if, if you're the best player at your park, you need to find a new park because no one's going to keep pushing you. And, and I always would want players to play against guys that are bigger and stronger and faster that are going to push them to new levels. Uh, so that's the same medicine I take. And, and I knew that, you know, in order for me to be the best speaker that I was capable of, and that's all my goal is. I, I don't, I don't view myself in competition with anyone else because we're all on our same, all on a different journey. We all have a different message and a different twist. Uh, but I knew that if I could surround myself with people like yourself and, and the folks in NSA and in that, that Facebook group, who've been doing this uh, at an incredibly high level for a long time, um, that that would just add value to my life. And that was one of the main reasons I made the switch. I was just ready for a new challenge and to do something different. Um, I would never say that I had kind of conquered the basketball space, but it just wasn't exciting me the way that it was when I first started. And I was ready for something new and figured taking that message, but redirecting it at a new audience was what was going to reignite my fire. And it's done just that. And, you know, what's really neat about the basketball coaching community, if you talk to a real pure coach, they love to give back and help other coaches. They don't look at life as zero sum. They like feeding and helping other coaches. And I'm, I'm so thankful that, that the speaking community is very similar, that, that I've got, you know, speakers that have been doing this 10, 20 years at an incredibly high level, have the humility and grace and compassion to help somebody like me. And I consider myself a rookie you know, on this side of, of the table. And it's, it's been, it's just been amazing. I'm very, very thankful. So it's funny because what you're talking about and the way people have sort of helped people both in the industry that we're in, but also in, in your world of basketball that you came out of, you know, the, the word that comes to mind is mentorship. And the reason it comes to mind is in the last, I don't know, six months, I've had the honor to speak for uh, both corporations and associations to their sort of young professionals groups, sort of the the, the up and coming, maybe the, the millennial age group uh, within that company or within that association. In a lot of cases, they have special conferences for them or a different track at the big conference. And I've had the pleasure several times, maybe six or seven times, to be the speaker for those different groups. And in every case, I've always talked about the importance of people, uh, connecting with people, putting your phone down was sort of my original topic I've spoke about for a decade. And even in my new topic, which is all about the gap between potential and results that happens for individuals and teams – the, the thing that is a little nugget that I talk about is the power of having a mentor. And what has amazed me about these young professional groups, because the media tells you, oh, the millennials want nothing to do with the baby boomers or the older generation. They have it all figured out. They don't need the older people. You know, they've got all the technology. They'll line up six, seven, ten people deep 
to talk about how do I find a mentor? How do I find that person who will invest in me? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities to hire a coach. And, and in the podcast world, you know, everybody seems to have a coaching pro- program and things like that. Everybody wants to charge you. And there's nothing wrong with that. I have a coaching program that, that people join. But a mentor is somebody who invests in you without necessarily a monetary gain. And this topic has sort of bubbled out from a little module inside my speech to something that is coming becoming a topic unto itself so having lived in that basketball world where clearly that is is part of it and now into this world how important do you think it is to have either a formal or several informal mentors absolutely vital Uh, i'll even go one step further and say not only do you need a mentor uh, you even need a mentee Uh, i actually had a chance to spend some time with a gentleman named frank shamrock Uh, and if that name rings a bell it's because frank shamrock and ken shamrock basically started the MMA ultimate fighting craze back in the 90s. Uh, Frank was pound for pound one of the deadliest humans on earth, uh, which is kind of ironic because he's one of the nicest, most gentle, compassionate, giving men I've ever met. He's a great guy. Uh, But he's the one that taught me what he calls the plus equal minus system. And he said that he makes sure that at all times in his life, he has a plus, an equal, and a minus A plus in his life is basically what you just described. That would be a mentor to him. That would be someone that's already walked down the path that he's trying to go down and that can share some experience and some wisdom with him. But he also believes you need to have an equal, uh, somebody that's a peer that's going through the same stuff you're going through. They're experiencing some of the same wins, but they're also facing some of the same obstacles and challenges. And it's a great idea for you all to exchange best practices. But then he said the one that a lot of people forget that no matter where you are in your life, you should also have the minus. And I don't say minus in a diminishing way, basically saying that you need to send the elevator back down for somebody else and you need to reach a hand down and help them and teach them. And since putting that into my own practice about a year ago, I've actually found that I do some of the be- I learned some of the most when I'm the mentor and they're the mentee. Because as you know, Tom, in order to teach anything to someone, you have to know it really, really well. And it really keeps you sharp to be able to pour into someone else. And it also keeps you grounded and gives you the humility to realize that, hey, I was where they were a couple years ago and people have helped me. So it's almost my obligation and duty to help them. And and I think that plus equal minus in life or in entrepreneurship or even in the narrow niche of speaking uh, can be a really valuable tool. So I've never heard that described that way. I think I've, I've, I've sort of probably lived my life that way, but I love that, that plus equal minus. And, and actually, it's interesting because I people listen to the show know that I have a mastermind group of three other, there's four of us total, speakers, and we've been together for five years. And people say, oh, mastermind groups tend to die out around then. And we haven't died out yet. We rent a house twice a year somewhere in the country. We move in. They're like my board of directors. Anytime I make a, a pivot in my in my speaking business, they're part of it as much as my family, knowing that I'm making these changes. Uh, so I have the, those equals. And then if you listen to this show, I talk a lot about, I have two gentlemen who for about the last four years, uh, I've been their mentor. And they're both 28, 29 years old now. And one of them said recently he made a job change and and there was just a lot of negotiation and a lot of problems and a lot of fear. And he kept calling me like every couple mornings and I I made the time for him. And after he got the job and negotiated the salary he wanted and and really made some tough choices with a little bit of guidance, he said to me, and and we have a joke that the two of them have a nickname for me. They're, They're friends with each other now. And they have a nickname. They call me dad. And yeah, haha. My uh, my answer to that was cool. Older brother would have been such a better nickname. 
But he, he said to me after his job change, he said, how does someone my age navigate something like this if they don't have a fake dad? He goes, you know, because he turned to me so many times and, you know, we just talked it through. I didn't tell him what to do and I didn't even give him per se advice. But, you know, I, I was like, well, you know, they don't. They make mistakes. That's what happened to me, most likely. But here was the interesting part is that I learned as much helping him through those rough times about other things that I'm dealing with. I mean, it's, you know, I'm not going through a job change per se, but I'm dealing with clients and I'm dealing with negotiations and they don't understand. They don't understand why I give them so much time, but it's because I learned so much from helping them. The hole in my life right now is the plus, and that is I don't have a mentor. And so that's part of this, this whole thing I'm research, researching is how do you get a mentor at 52 years old? How do you find somebody ahead of you who's willing? Because it's easy if you're 28 to come to some 50-year-old because like, oh, you know. <laughs> but uh, society hasn't set it up that at 52 you go seeking a mentor. And so that's something I'm actually doing right now. And so it's fascinating you bring that up because I'm like, oh, that sort of matches my life. You know, one thing I'd say, and I think, I think it's amazing that you're doing that, is hopefully to help maybe reshift your, your perspective is don't think so much as far as age, as far as maybe experience in a specific niche. Yeah, uh, I, I actually agree with that. I don't think of it as age. Okay, because a perfect example, one of my mentors that was in basketball is 15 years younger than I am, uh, but he had traveled down certain paths and done certain things that I hadn't done yet um, and find mentorship in that. And, you know, even, even though I've only been in the professional speaking on the corporate side for about 18 months now, uh, I actually have a few people that are older than I am that want to make a similar leap that have been reaching out to me to ask for advice. So, um, yeah, I fully, uh, I fully agree. I don't think it's an age thing, but I definitely think there has to be the, the, uh, experience and respect thing for the, yeah. the mentorship to work. There has to be that everybody has to kind of know their role. Now it can change because there's a lot of reverse engineering where the less experienced person, you know, in one area is teaching the more experienced person in another area. And I think that's what's happened with these two young men is that we've become friends. We become, you know, we there are things that we invest in each other about, but, uh, but I definitely think that I don't, I don't think in society we've said, Hey, hey successful person in their fifties, do you currently have a mentor? And yeah. I think that's the thing that I'm exploring is how, how, how do we make that the norm? Absolutely. And I know that it's challenging for you because on experience, you have so many vast experiences and you've, you've, you said you've done the corporate thing, you've done the entrepreneur thing. So I, I can certainly appreciate that it's harder for you to find someone um, but I guarantee you there is somebody out there and you keep that search. And in the meanwhile, you keep growing from the equal and the minus in your relationship so that, that you're not stagnant, which I know you never are. Well, I uh, think, but, but I think that's fascinating. I think everybody should write that down, the plus, equal, and minus, because I think that's the, I think that's a huge nugget of information. So I think you've, you've shared something that should make everybody who's listening think. Well, I hope so. But back to your original question. Everybody needs a coach or everybody needs a mentor or a trainer. I mean, it doesn't matter what terminology you use, uh, but when you look at the most elite performers, and I've been around the most elite performers in basketball and LeBron and KD and Steph Curry, uh, not only do those guys have their team coach, they have individual trainers, individual coaches, you know, now granted they've got the financial means that, that they're not limited by very much, but more importantly, they have the humility to realize I need someone that can not only show me the way, but will hold me accountable to an incredibly high standard so that I can continue to perform. And, you know, even outside of basketball, 
you know, look at a, a Justin Timberlake or a Beyonce or a, a Tom Brady or, or Jay-Z or any high performer. They have coaches, they have mentors, they have people that are constantly teaching them, investing in them, but most importantly, holding them accountable to that really high standard. So uh, certainly I, I, what I would say players all the time, if, you know, if, if LeBron has a private coach, then certainly you should as well, because you haven't achieved a fraction of what he's got, you know, he's achieved. So we all need them. No, I, th- I think that's great. So, you know, here you were in the basketball, you know, the, the, the basketball camps, the basketball performance arena, and then now you're in this corporate speaking world for the last 18 months. What's it like? I mean, you've got a family, you've got, got to go to wife and kids. And what's it life like to make a, as an entrepreneur a major pivot from one focus to another focus while you still have a mortgage and braces and everything else to pay for? You know, it's been incredibly invigorating. Uh, one of the things that's always attracted me to the to the entrepreneurial mindset is that it's it's a constant hustle that you have to every single day. You've got to prove your value and prove your worth. You need to be continually developing yourself and your craft to grow into somebody that you're not currently. And I just felt that uh, after almost 20 years in basketball, that I was starting to stagnate my own growth and development as a person, and, and making that leap has been so fun. Um, you know, one thing I'll say to respectfully correct you, I'm amicably divorced, so I don't have the wife portion. <laughs> My ex and I get along great. And one of the reasons I love the speaking business is, you know, I take being a present father very serious. And the speaking business is actually very conducive to that lifestyle because I have my kids half of the time and I can be very present with them. And then the other half of the time, I'm free to travel, to speak, to work on my craft, to rehearse, to do whatever it is that I need to be good at what I do. So it actually works really, really well that, that I can kind of balance both. And, and back to the, what we talked about in the beginning, uh, I take pride in modeling for my children that I love taking on new challenges. I love stretching myself and, and going into areas that are going to, to, to force me to improve and I really love what I do. I'm so thankful to be able to serve others and to pour into others. And I want to make sure that my kids see that. Well, and I think it's interesting, you know, you, you, you talk of the fact that, that this lifestyle actually is very conducive to being a very present parent. It's, it's interesting because I get a lot of criticism because uh, people do that, you know, about, well, you're, you have kids. How are you gone 100 nights a year? Or 120 nights a year. Now, at this time, my kids are older. I have a kid who is 21 years old and a senior in college. She lives a thousand miles away. She doesn't care where I am. You know, it's like I'm lucky to get a text from her. Uh, but I also have a 16 year old who I'm very close with, who you know is very active in things. And one time, my older daughter uh, was being interviewed at a National Speakers Association conference on video about what's it like to be the kid of a professional speaker. And I'm right there, and and she said, "Well, he's gone a lot." And I literally thought, "Oh my God, we're going to throw me under the." Us. And she said, but you know what? When he's actually in town, he's more present than any of my friend's parents who are doctors or lawyers or have traditional jobs because when he's home, he's home. And my, my 16-year-old and I now, when she started high school, we came up with our own little personal tradition, and that is every Friday – I drive her to school and we go to Starbucks. And so freshman and sophomore year, we've done that for two years and combined, we've probably missed three weeks where we didn't do that. Now, if I'm traveling on a Friday, we do it on a Wednesday or a Tuesday or whatever, but but we hit a day each week where we hit Starbucks and we spend about 45 minutes or an hour and we talk about whatever she wants to talk about. We talk about, you know, her hopes, her dreams, you know, politics at school, you know, uh, you know, the issues with her friends, whatever. And 
you know, I'm gone a lot, but when I'm home, I get to do that. And the kids have kind of said, you know, yeah, my friend's parents don't do that. So you actually can have that uh, uh, present lifestyle, even with being on the road one third of the time. Yeah, you you just said that brilliantly because that's how I define it. Uh, you know, there's a phrase, I don't know who said it first. I don't know if it was Nick Saban from Alabama or if it was Oprah, because I've heard it from both of them. But the concept is be where your feet are. And that simply means to, to make sure your head and your heart are wherever your feet are. And you just said it perfectly. I am gone a lot as well. And, and my kids do notice that. But when I'm home and I'm with them, I'm with them. And I don't worry about logging up the tally of, well, how many nights was I gone? How many nights was I here? How many nights did I have you guys? How many nights did I not? It's simply when I have them, I, I aim to be, because I'm certainly not perfect, I aim to be as present as possible. I'm not on my phone. I'm dialed in. I'm, I'm communicating and connecting with my children. And what I find is uh, even if those deep connections aren't as frequent as maybe other people think they should be, they're a heck of a lot more lasting and impactful than just kind of always being home every night for dinner. And you're, you're, you're just going through the motions and not even really connecting with anyone. So I'm, I'm 100% on your side that as long as I can connect deeply when I am with them, then I have zero guilt about when I'm not. So, you know, I was talking earlier about how I talk a lot about this gap between potential and results. And, you know, I'm, I'm really a results-oriented kind of person. So, you know, the fact that I've been doing this business, I'm not one of these speakers who's getting $20,000 a speech. I'm not one of these speakers who's making a million dollars a year. But I'm living a good life, and, you know, I'm having real results. And there's a lot of people who use a lot of smoke and mirrors in our business, and I don't, you know, I don't appreciate that. I don't believe in the word fake it till you make it because I think that means go out and be a fraud to everybody. So, you know, I'm pretty transparent about who I am and where my results have been, and, and, and they're fine. I want them to be better. I'm pushing myself all the time. But you and I have both been around entrepreneurship a long time. We've seen a lot of people come and go in different businesses. You probably saw it in the basketball camp space. Somebody shows up who has had a great career, and they're going to start their own series of camps. And after one or two seasons, you know that business has folded and moved on. And then you see somebody else come in, and, and their business becomes huge and multi-state and, and all this stuff. What is the difference in your mind between you know an entrepreneur who has potential and an entrepreneur who has potential, who gets results? Uh, I, I think it's twofold. One, I think it's self-belief. I think those that really and truly not only believe in themselves, but believe in their mission or their cause or whatever it is that they're, they're trying to share with the world, those that have a really deep sense of self-belief, and then those that have grit, those that are willing to push through hard. You know, I would say that all the time to basketball players, you know, uh, it's fine in the beginning of practice or a workout where everybody's fresh, but the great players separate themselves when things start to get hard. When you start to get mentally and physically and emotionally fatigued, those are when those guys step on the gas and take it to a whole nother level. And it's very similar with entrepreneurship. I mean, entrepreneurship is hard. I mean, it's, it's challenging. I mean, wait, it's, you know, wait, let's repeat that. One, two, three. <laughs> entrepreneurship <laughs> is hard. Yeah. And uh, I think it's, you know, I, again, where I see these parallels in basketball, uh, let's just say that you and I flipped on the TV tonight and there was a game and we watched Stephen Curry, you know, magically score 35 points. What people quickly forget are the millions and millions of reps that he's put in during the unseen hours when no one else was watching that allowed him to perform that way. And it's the same thing with entrepreneurship. You know, if somebody's tuning in and listening to this show for the first time and they see you and hear you, Tom, and go, wow, Tom's been running a thriving business for 10 years. He's successful. He has a great relationship with his kids. 
He's, you know, he has a high quality of life. He makes good money. Wow. He's got it all. Yeah. That's almost insulting that they're not looking at what you've done to get to this point that you didn't start this way, that I'm sure you've had a tremendous amount of peaks and valleys and been on that roller coaster uh, as they all have. So we really don't do it a service if we don't pay homage to those unseen hours and we just look at the results and we look at somebody that's a successful speaker and we don't take time to unpack what it took for them to get there. And, you know, I have, I have young uh, performance coaches in basketball come up to me all the time and, and ask me, you know, how do I have some of the opportunities I have now? And I say, you know, respectfully, don't ask me what I'm doing now. You have to ask me what I was doing 10 years ago to get to where I am now, because that's where you need to be because you can't skip steps. You know, the only way you can get to the top of a ladder is rung by rung. You have to hit every step. There's no, you can't skip them. And, and I think people quickly forget that, that yes, entrepreneurship is hard, but if you have high self-belief, you believe in your message and you have grit, it's well worth putting up with. Well, you know, I always love the fact that somebody goes, oh, wow, he's an overnight success or she's an overnight success. And then, you know, you unpack it. And of course, it took them 15 years of struggle and starvation and, you know, borrowing from Peter to pay Paul to make make ends meet. And all of a sudden they hit and people go, oh, they're so lucky. Uh, you know, I had someone tell me that recently. I, I emceed a big conference for the third year for a major technology company and a, a newer speaker was like three years out of it wasn't in a row there were they used me for two years and they didn't use me and then they brought me back and they go oh you're so lucky and i was like yeah that's exactly what it was that's exactly how it happened i was so lucky it had nothing to do with the fact that i've given 750 plus professional level speeches or or you know i count emceeing as a speech even though it can be three days but uh you know i have i have over 700 plus you know experiences doing that and when i got into the speaking business maybe about even before kind of the level you're at now, it was probably a year or two before I, I went full-time doing it. Uh, I read a thing in Speaker Magazine, which I always tell the people out there, is proof there's a magazine for everybody. But I read an article and they, they quoted Roxanne Emmerich, who is a legend in the business. And uh, she now specializes in, in banks and financial services area. But, but she started off like everybody else, trying to speak to everybody. And she was giving advice to new speakers in this article. And the one thing I remember her saying was, you're never going to be great. You're never going to be able to handle whatever comes your way until you've given 300 professional level speeches. And the way she counted a professional level speech, and I'm sort of paraphrasing this a bit, was there were more than 25 or 40 people in the audience. You were invited there to be the featured speaker, not it was your company's sales meeting and you worked there so you spoke or it wasn't your Toastmasters group or it wasn't an event that you planned and put yourself on the stage. This was someone reached out to you and said, we want to feature you as a speaker. So you could be a breakout or a keynote, but you were being chosen by someone else to be on that rung. She didn't even care if you got paid for it, but yeah. she said that that level, you have to give 300 before you're going to be totally able to handle that. And the reality was, is at the time I read that, I'd probably done 30. And I was like, 300 is so far away. I mean, that could be a decade or more away. Oh, my gosh. And now that I've topped 700, I believe her. I believe fully that you got to get out there and speak. So I, when people give new, newer speakers the advice of, oh, don't ever speak for free, my, God is, my thought is, my God, you'll never get to 300. You know, go, go speak for everybody. Just say yes and get that experience because I've had two things happen uh, one a few years ago and one two weeks ago from the time we recorded this, so about two months ago. But it was the one three years ago was I was giving a speech and the power went out in the hotel. 
and the room didn't go totally black because there were windows, but I just continued. And eventually, right before I ended, the power came back, but my PowerPoint was gone. I had to go without notes because I wasn't expecting this. And at the end, all of the audience and the meeting planner were like, how in the world did you do that? And the answer was, well, I've given 300 speeches, so that that's how I did it. And then recently, I was the MC of, of a large tech event, and something changed in their schedule, and they lost the content for their closing session. And they were going to end early, but it didn't work for the caterer. And so right before I was the MC, I was going to you know introduce everything. 20 minutes before we went, were to start, and 1,500 people in the auditorium, they said, can you do a 45-minute keynote? We have to fill 45 minutes, or, or, or our end is going to be a big flop because what we were going to do isn't going to work. And they weren't planning on a closing keynote, but the audience just knew it was the closing general session. They didn't know what was on the agenda because it was sort of a surprise. And I said, sure. And I literally walked out on stage 20 minutes later with a customized PowerPoint because I had my computer with me. And I did a, some content that I really had never done before as a closing keynote. I pulled the, the paradox of potential stuff out, tied it to the potential you learn after being at a four-day conference, and then motivate that and sent them on their way. And again, the meeting planner and the people who were in the know, and there was only a few who knew that I did that out of the, the – pulled it out of a bag. They were like, how did you do that? And I said, that's why you hire a really experienced master of ceremonies or a really experienced speaker is I have 700 practices to do what I just did. And so I think for what you're saying, that is so key is that we can't just think, oh, overnight success or, oh, I can skip some steps because you know I did something cool. I think you're absolutely on target that we have to go through the fundamentals day after day after day. Yeah, man, that that gives me goosebumps hearing you say that. And it's because, see, I'm now I'm on the other side. I've given about 50 total talks in 18 months, and I have the respect and the humility to know that I got another 250 that I need to give before I'll be at that. I don't want to say level of mastery, but before I'll be able to, to to play that like a conductor. And I love that. I look forward to that challenge. And that's also what helps keep me sharp now and keeps me hungry to go out and get as many of those reps because every rep is valuable and every rep is going to provide some feedback. And it's up to me to use that feedback in a way that serves me and moves me forward. And it's, it's not that I would look at an audience as guinea pigs. Well, hey, let me just try some stuff out until I get to 300. I mean, I'll serve every audience to the best of my ability, but I have the humility to realize that, you know, not, I'm not where I'm going to be until I've earned the right to be there. And, and that really excites me. I love that story. You bring up a, a two interesting points on that. I want, I want to go back as one is, you know, you said, I don't want to use them as a guinea pig. That's another reason I tell people who are earlier in their career. And even I do, I do it too. Say yes to that free Rotary Club that your friend belongs to that's in your neighborhood. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, travel to New York for free. That's, you know, that takes time and money away from you and your family. But if it's local and you're not working anyway, you know, the reason you say yes is that's where I try new stuff, right? It's like going to open mic night for a comic. You know, if I try something and it's not a home run, it's not like they paid me, you know, several thousand dollars for it. So, you know, that's why I believe in, in doing those, those uh, pro bono speeches, because you can try a new story, you can try a new concept, you can move things around and, and all that. But here's the other thing is, you know, I had huge butterflies in my stomach before doing that impromptu 20 minute, 30 minute uh, speech to 1500 people. I actually texted my mastermind group before I went on stage and went, oh my God, here's what I have to do. And when I came off stage, my stomach hurt because of the adrenaline. I mean, for like a half hour, I was like, oh my God, am I going to be sick? However, I was telling this to someone who's been speaking for about a year. And I said, what if you were in an audience 
and the speaker got sick and they said, you know, in your case, hey, Alan, could you come speak to these 2000 people right now? You know, I said for me, because I've done 700, it was still scary. I was I was nervous. I had adrenaline going on. But I was like my answer was yes. And my friend who I said this to was like, I would do it, but I don't think I'm ready yet. And I said, that's a good thing when you know where you are on the ladder, you know, and he probably would go and he'd be great. But, you know, it's that thing of knowing who you are and where you are, because I think where people get in trouble in all businesses, is they start believing their own press and they think they're farther along the ladder than they are. And that's what that's what that's why we see so many people fall into that gap again. I love that. Yeah, I, I think I'd be very similar to your friend. I would say yes. Because I believe in in taking those opportunities because you never know what could come from it, but realize that I don't have the level of mastery that I'd be able to do the job that I'm capable of, but I'd be okay with that. And I don't, you know, I I don't fear uh, stretching myself and trying things that are probably a little bit ahead of where I might be. And and I would look at that as yes, if if somebody in this audience is going to get up and give an impromptu talk, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do the best that I can right now. And you know, what's funny is I try to have every talk filmed uh, because I go back and watch them myself. Uh, Very similar to the ways that basketball players would watch film. You know, I go back to study myself as a speaker and even having only done this for a little over a year, when I go back and watch some of my first talks, I mean, I'm almost embarrassed, but then I take a deep breath and go, you know what, at that point in time, that was the best I was capable of doing. And I say this with a huge smile. I hope a year from now, I go back and watch the talk I did two days ago, and I hope I'm embarrassed by that because right. that simply means that I've continued to improve and get better. And, you know, I would imagine the same is for you if you went back and listened to podcast episode number oh, one, two, and three. Don't go listen to number one, two, and three. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but I know that that's part of the journey. And I respect that it's a part of the journey. And, you know, one of the things I do is there's two groups that I study relentlessly. I study coaches and and I love knowing that, you know, a coach like Roy Williams, who's the coach at North Carolina, has won multiple national championships, started as a JV high school coach working for free. So (laughs) to me, that actually gives me a lot of inspiration. But but one group that I know is close to both of us uh, are stand up comedians. And, and I love when I flip on Netflix and I check out a new comedian that I've never heard before, but I know that if they have a Netflix special, you know, they're not a novice. They've done this before. And after I watch it, I YouTube some of their earlier stuff. And it's really neat to see how far they've come and how much better and more polished and confident they are now than from a clip from the DC improv from 1997 that was shot with some grainy, you know, handheld camera I really, I I take a lot of pride in looking at those people's journeys because then I can say, okay, I'm not Netflix ready yet, (laughs) but if I stay on course and I keep developing my craft and I keep uh, putting myself in rooms with people like Tom Singer and people that are farther ahead than I am, then one day I might have the opportunity to be Netflix ready. And I, I get excited by that. Well, and I think stand-up comics are like a great uh, example of everything in business because, you know, there is no reward and it's all results-driven, right? I mean, I talk about how, you know, I am totally results-driven and results – stand-up comedy is not forgiving. You can go be a salesman and close some things and almost make your quota and keep your job. You can do all kinds of jobs and sort of phone it in. But stand-up comedy, even speaking, there's a lot of people out there who aren't that great who get paid and get booked over and over and over again because they're good marketers and, you know, oh, it's good content. 
but stand-up has no forgiveness. You've got to be funny. You've got to get those laughs, those three or four laughs a minute. You've got to have that timing. Uh, and our mutual friend, Drew Tarvin, took me yeah. to open mic night in New York. And it was funny because he's a comic and he invited me to go with him when I was going to be speaking in New York. And he said, uh, I said, oh, I'd love to go see you work on new material. And Phil Jones was standing there and he just is shaking his head like behind him going, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, <laughs> you've got to get up and do a set. And my initial reaction was no. And you know, I don't know Drew that well. He's not the type of friend who can kick me in the ass and say, you're going. But he's like, why do you say no? And I started giving, you know, the typical excuses that all humans make about things that scare them. And he said, have you ever wanted to do it? And I said, yeah, when I was younger, I used to love going to stand-up shows and things. He goes, then just do it. It's five, it's a five-minute set. And he made the time for me. It was tight in his schedule. He made the time for me, which I will always appreciate because he could, I gave him an out. I said, oh, you're meeting a friend for dinner. You know, he goes, hey, we were going to meet at 730. I'll just push dinner to eight. Open mic night is six to eight. We'll go to the one. It's right near. We'll, I'll pick a restaurant for my friend down the block in the village. We'll make it work. And he could have totally said no, but he said, hey, I'll take you. And we went and I did it. And it was very scary. I didn't suck, but I wasn't, you know, Seinfeld was not worried about job security because I did a stand-up set. But I learned so much that I've continued to do it. So when I travel now, I look up open mic night in the cities I'm in and I go to an open mic night and I sign up. And if I get, sometimes you get in, sometimes you don't, but it, usually I've gotten in. So I've now done it 10 times uh, since March. And same thing, I'm, we're, we're not changing careers to stand up, but we're not, uh, I, but I, I see the improvement. So I've made a commitment myself. I'm going to do this a hundred times. Now that might take me three years, but I'm going to continue to do it while I'm traveling. I've found sort of a local thing at a bar that's Monday nights and it's early so I can be home by 10 o'clock. Uh, so I'm going and doing that and I'm just trying new material. I'm looking for the timing. It's the standup comics call it stage time. I mean, that's part of it. And that's true, not just for our business as speakers, but for everybody. And so I think you bring up a really interesting, uh, uh, case study when you talk about standup, because that is, I think for everybody, that is a great way to learn because there's no forgiveness. No, well, you said it brilliantly. And it's, it's all about, you know, stage time in basketball speak is get your reps. Like you have to get in your reps. There is, you know, uh, one thing that unites every great shooter. Uh, they have different heights, different weights, different arm length, different eye hand coordination, different uh, footwork, different form. They have so many. Th the only thing that unites all of great shooters is they put in the work. They get in the reps. There's never been a great shooter in the game of basketball that was just born that way. Now, they may have been born with some advantages, but they have to put in the work. And same thing. Uh, certainly, there are some comedians that probably have that, that intangible it factor. They're just likable and they're funny. But all great stand-up comedians have put in the work. And, you know, I, I know with his recent indiscretions, he's, he's probably not the most popular, but Louis CK is somebody that I've been studying for most of his career. And when you go back and watch some of his early stuff compared to his more recent stuff before these indiscretions, it is amazing how much better he is at his craft and not even from a content standpoint, but his delivery, his pauses, his tone. Yeah. His and, and you're his right. He's one of those people that, you know, you can't talk about and admire anymore because of that. But I did learn one thing from him as a speaker, and that is every year he would throw out all of his material. So here's a guy who's doing stand-up all over the place, getting huge laughs. He would throw out his material and write a whole new show every year, which 
I've tried to do as a speaker is I've tried to throw out sort of my safe stories and yeah. come up with new examples because it keeps you fresh and it keeps you going and it keeps you moving. So, so Alan, I've got a couple more questions for you. We're running long. I don't want to hold you up. But before I can ask you the last questions, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Alan. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Alan, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing with your business right now? Well, two, I'll tell you one that I just completed and then one that I'm getting ready to dive into. Um, I actually uh, was fortunate enough to sign a publishing deal with Center Street up in New York, and I just turned in my final manuscript last week. Uh, and I tell you, uh, writing a book um, was an incredibly, uh, just an incredible experience overall. Uh, I actually hired a co-author uh, to kind of help me formulate the organizational portion, but it was a really fun experience because it, it, it caused me to curate all of my, my stories and my materials and really organize them and put them in the right silos so that I, I'd be able to deliver something that, you know, the reader would find helpful. Um, and it was really a neat experience. So uh, talk about the unseen hours is anybody listening that's written a book. Uh, it'll come out in January of 2019. But no one, when they open those pages, unless they've written their own book, will realize that it was about a year and a half from the day I decided to write a book to the day someone will actually read it. And there was a lot of stuff in between that year and a half. So that's something I'm excited about and proud of. And, and it was fun. I mean, I, I know it's a lot of hard work, but I found the hard work of writing a book to be really enjoyable. That's, that's nice. And, and, and you said the second thing, yeah. Yeah, is I'm going to start a podcast. Now, I, I've done two different podcasts in the basketball space, and I think I had over 500 episodes between the two of them, um, but they were four high school coaches. Now I want to do one kind of on this, this corporate side. Um, so I'm definitely going to be looking up the sponsor you just talked about because I think they'll be a huge help. Well, um, I say it all the time. I never could have created the show and kept it running for four years if I hadn't partnered with Podfly net podfly productions because they have been the single best vendor i think i've ever worked with in my career and uh they have gone out of their way to help me and it's uh, you know they're fantastic and what's great is they're a large enough organization that it's not just having one person you hire who maybe gets busy and can't get your show out they've got a whole series now i have an editor assigned to me but if that person quit or got promoted or was on vacation there's a whole slew of people who slew of people who would get my work done so i i love that about them uh, and I love the fact that they always answer all my questions, even even now where I'm trying to upgrade the show and do some things to position it differently. They like get right back to me every time. I love it. Well, they'll be my first email or phone call to check them out. And, you know, the, the show that I'd like to do um, kind of goes along the themes that we've been talking about. My goal is to go find really, really successful people in a variety of different industries that respectfully most people haven't heard of. You know, it's it's the high school coach down in Mississippi that's won 800 games that no one's ever heard of. It's the entrepreneur down the street that has a $200 million business that nobody's ever heard of. And I really want to dig deep in to what made them successful. 
You know, we we spend so much time studying the the LeBron James or the Louis C.K.s or the the people that are in popular culture. But, you know, for every one of them, there's hundreds of people that are incredibly successful. But more importantly, they're happy, fulfilled and living, you know, well-rounded, significant lives that we haven't heard from. And I'd like to find some of those diamonds in a rough and, and ask them some questions just selfishly so I can learn but hopefully that there'll be some listeners out there that will want to learn as well. And it'll all be about the unseen hours. Do you have a name for the show yet? I don't, not, not yet. I'm I'm deciding whether or not I'll brand it the same as my book. Uh, And the book is called raise your game secrets of the best of the best. Oh, I like that. I think that would work. That's, that'd be a good, that'd be a good podcast. Yeah. But, but that's kind of the concept I'm toying with, but I think it could be a lot of fun uh, learning from these folks that, that a lot of people haven't heard from. So, Alan, thank you so much for being a guest here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. If somebody's listening and they think he's exactly who we need to bring in and talk to our team and talk to our to our, our, our employees, how do people find you? Uh, fairly easily. Just go to alansteinjr.com and all of my social handles are just at alansteinjr. Uh, so hopefully I'm fairly easy to find and would certainly love an opportunity just to to talk to any of your listeners, even if they don't want to hire me, if they just want to shoot a note because something in this show resonated, you know, I'm all about uh, creating engagement with folks in our community. And I I really appreciate the opportunity to sit and chop it up with you, my friend. Well, you heard that everybody ping him on social media, send him emails, make him go like, my God, these cool things, people, they won't stop. Quit with the talking to me. I hate engagement. Turn him off on engagement. Make him say there was too much engagement. So, I would love to say that. So hopefully our paths will cross again. I think uh, before this show airs, we'll get to spend some time together at the National Speakers Association. And uh, maybe if I'm really fortunate, we'll get to speak at the same conference someday. Likewise. Thank you, my friend. Awesome. Thank you, Alan. Hey, and thank you to all of you who tuned in. I say it every single show. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a podcast. So keep tuning in. Keep telling your friends about cool things entrepreneurs do. You can find us on all the socials, uh, either at cool things or... Or uh, I think on uh, Twitter, we are at Cool Podcast. You can also find me at TomSinger.com. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. If you need a little bit of extra guidance, we have a really cool uh, group uh, coaching program called the Potential Mastermind Project. The prices are going to go up on that in the fall. So if this is something you've been thinking about, now is the time to do it because October 1st, the price is going to go up surprisingly uh, because everybody's telling me it's way too underpriced. And so uh, I'm raising the price because I listen. Hey, uh, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Alan. But in the meantime, I challenge you, go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.